Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. so conflicted man I, I don't know if i want the browns to win and knock the the ravens out of playoff contention and have a winning record or if i want them to lose so the steelers miss the playoffs i, I don't i don't know what to do with my hands <laughs> oh man We're, we we got to talk through that in a second actually this is gonna be uh, yeah, let me let me finish my intro real quick all right no travis a beard this time he is on assignment uh down in arizona but he will be back not sure when he will be back though plenty of dad jokes yet to come i am john the power of hindsight hogue and this is the super flex super show and this is going to be yet another reflective episode we're getting we're getting more and more uh in internal looking internal thinking um, we're uh, we're reflecting on our own thoughts and our own processes as we continue to break down the 2018 season. What went right? What went wrong? And we're going to get into all of that. But while we're in our fantasy football therapy mode, maybe we should talk about that for just a second, James, because that to me feels like a slam dunk. I, I the Baltimore Ravens at one point were the Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Owned by Art Modell, who moved them to Baltimore, changed their name, changed their color, and completely changed the fortunes of that franchise, including two Super Bowl ch- championships uh, with uh, with guys like you know Ray Lewis, um, Jamal Lewis, uh, Joe Flacco, you know, some, Austin, sure. yeah, yeah, some of the guys who, you know, Tony Siragusa, these, these are some of uh, um, Terrell Suggs. These are some of the guys who could have been part of Cleveland Browns lore. To me, it feels like a slam dunk, but I, I don't know. Is there a thought process there for you where you would actually be okay seeing the, the Baltimore Ravens win this game just despite the Pittsburgh Steelers? I, I don't, I, man, I, I want Cleveland to win. I, I always want Cleveland to win, right? So I guess that hasn't changed. But this would be, and, and I kind of uh, kind of got into this with uh, with our buddy Brian Haar on Twitter a little bit. Um, this would be the most palatable loss that I think I could take. And here's why. Look, 
Yes, you, everything you said is correct. The Baltimore Ravens, I mean, Cleveland moved, you know, their team at night, went to Baltimore, and and that hurt. You know, we had to open up a, a, a new franchise, an expansion franchise, and ever since then it's been brutal. But look, since we've opened up that franchise, I've seen players get into fistfights at the 50-yard line with Pittsburgh Steelers players before the game. I got to witness the Cleveland Browns make the playoffs one time, score over 40 points, and lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers for the third time that year. I mean, we just could not beat Pittsburgh. It was Jerome Bettis running over us. It was, I mean, we were always, we were the constant underdog against that team. And now we have a chance. The Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be rooting for the Cleveland Browns this week. And I just, I, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like the feeling. And I almost <laughs> want them to let us down as much as, you know, the Browns let us down when they play Pittsburgh. So, yeah, I do have some mixed emotions about it, man. It, it's tough. But you're absolutely right with, with you know, uh, these two teams between Baltimore and Pittsburgh. It's tough for me to figure out which one I don't like more than the other. But uh, I, I guess I have more interactions with, with Steelers fans and uh, seeing them with all their joy year after year, you know, winning the division, Super Bowls, that sort of thing has gotten to me a little bit more than, than the Ravens thing. So um, it's tough. It's tough. I, I do want Cleveland to win, though. I'll go on the record and say that much. But, uh, it, it, again, if we did lose, I would. I, it would be the most palatable loss for me um, because of what it would cost the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, I I guess I could see it be being very satisfying the fact that your rival Steelers have to root for you to win, you know? That it all of a sudden you're you're their their savior, their hero, and uh I so I guess I could I could see both sides of that. It it makes sense to me, but um uh, I just thought it was an interesting way to start this show considering you know, mm-hmm. we're kind of piggybacking off of what we started last week. We started kind of reflecting on the 2018 season. And like I said, we're we're focusing more and more inward, exploring our own feelings and our own thought processes on what just transpired over the course of the 2018 season. And we're going to do some more of that today. Uh, this time, we're going to talk about some of the things that we actually, that we called during the off season going into the 2018 season some things to just do a little self-reflection here we're going to talk about some things that we got right on both ends of the spectrum things that you know players we were high on and players that we were low on that we got right and ones that we got wrong and we're going to break down our process a little bit we're going to discuss you know why it went the way it went and how can we use that going forward to improve our our analysis of uh of fantasy players going into the 2019 season that's going to be the goal is every single year we want to get better and better at this and you know we we've got the entire off season to really hone our the the way that we view you know the fantasy football landscape and prepare for the 2019 season but the goal is to make sure that we're better this year than than we were a year ago at you know at predicting this stuff and at coming up with a way of analyzing the fantasy football landscape so anyways long story short 
let's get into this and do some self-reflection. So what I want to start with, James, is if you give me some players here who you were high on going into 2018 and you got that right. And again, I'd love to also hear why you were high on those players and why that ended up being correct. Yeah, awesome. So I'm going to start with James White running back for the New England Patriots. And I, I was high on him, and the reason being was because Tom Brady and Bill Belichick always seem to, and, and maybe this speaks more to veteran quarterbacks, but they seem to like those guys that they can count on, that they have some chemistry with, that sort of thing. And James White's just just that guy. Um, they, you know, Rex Burkhead is still newer there. James White was the guy they used down the stretch um, prior to this season, um, you know, last season. And it was just a guy that Brady could count on. He knew where James White was going to be. He knew if he needed a big play, you know, he could look to James White. That was a guy he was comfortable going to. So I didn't think a whole lot had changed. I know Sony Michelle was drafted pretty highly there. Um, <clears throat> I know there were others who were Rex Burkhead believers, but it seemed to me like James White was the kind of guy that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are comfortable using in key situations. I didn't think that was going to change this year, and uh, it really didn't. He was running back eight in a PPR format as of right now. So um, a really strong finish for James White, a guy who I think you could count on going forward. Um, and uh, a guy that uh, I was higher on than consensus, and it, it proved to be right. So that that's a good feeling. So, yeah, so my next guy is going to be Michael Thomas. And Michael Thomas I had as my wide receiver two behind Odell Beckham Jr. in my rankings. And he finished as wide receiver three. Um, I think he lived up to that hype. Uh, I think he's, you know, my process with Michael Thomas was, um, talent meets opportunity. I feel like he had an opportunity to be a volume, a high volume pass catcher uh, in a, a high powered offense uh, with a future Hall of Fame quarterback. So to me, it was just kind of a simple uh, procedural thing, seeing that there wasn't really a whole lot there outside of Michael Thomas um, to, to really target. Uh, it was him in the backs. And it turned out to be that way. So uh, Michael Thomas ended up being a, a pleasant surprise for most. And I was uh, happy that he hit there. Uh, next, I'll go to Kenny Galladay. Uh, he is the wide receiver 19 as of right now. So, you know, a wide receiver, too. Um, wasn't a guy that was really drafted as a wide receiver, too, this year. He was a guy some people liked long term. Um, I really felt like there was going to be somebody on the outside looking in. I thought it would be Marvin Jones. It turned out it was Golden Tate. So um, Kenny Galladay wasn't that third wide receiver. Um, he's now the number one wide receiver there and um, is heavily targeted. So moving forward, I think if you bought into Kenny Galladay, that was big. And the, the reason why I really saw that was because I just felt like Kenny Galladay had shown the most upside of those wide receivers. He was the youngest of them, and uh, he had the highest ceiling. So I, I, I did feel like Detroit was going to start using him more. And also, like we had discussed, they really didn't replace Eric Ebron and the targets they lost with him. So I felt like even three wide receivers could, uh, you know, could put up some some pretty good fantasy numbers, um, but Kenny Galladay is is clear uh, clearly the number one there um, in Detroit. Uh, next uh, is George Kittle, and George Kittle was kind of one of those tight ends that was in the middle of the group. I had I had one of those guys, and I was always I, I kind of was targeting those guys. And what I mean by that is you had your top flight guys, uh, you had Gronk, you had Zach Ertz, um, you had these guys that were up top that people were really targeting with you know Kelsey uh, Gronk Ertz. And then after that, you just had this middle belly of guys that people were were either high on or low on or just just kind of thought that they they could break out. 
and that was that kind of consisted for me of like George Kittle, David Njoku, Evan Ingram, um, uh, Trey Burton. There were guys like that that you know you you felt like the opportunity was right. But George Kittle was one of those guys I was highest on because of the the system. I felt like that system, um, you know, is is uh, you know the system that's run there with Kyle Shanahan is uh, subjective to putting up some good numbers to the tight end and giving the tight end some targets, stretching the seam, that sort of thing. And George Kittle has done that. Um, that's one of the strengths of his game is being able to stretch that seam with some speed. So that worked out well. Uh, Jared Goff, I would say Jared Goff had had one terrible year and one great year. So a lot of people were kind of hesitant on, you know, was Jared Goff a system guy? Is this just a one year thing? Uh, but I think Jared Goff being a, a top 10 quarterback has paid off. Uh, he finished the, the year as quarterback nine. And uh, he was a guy that, you know, I just saw the opportunity um, for him to be in a, an innovative offense again and uh, to be surrounded with a, a stellar supporting cast and being in a division that isn't very good. I thought uh, all led to Goff being a, 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 you know, a high end quarterback. I think he has the upside to finish higher. And I think seeing this for a second year, him being a top 10 quarterback, um, you know, seeing him play with a high, you know, with a high upside. Um, for two years in a row gives you a, a whole lot of a better feeling with him moving forward. And lastly is Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill was a guy that was hotly debated in the offseason on our uh, on our show. Um, I know Travis was a guy who wasn't high on him until, you know, the preseason kind of rolled around. Uh, but Tyreek Hill finished as wide receiver five. He is He's a do-it-all guy. I, I, I think if you have any questions about Tyreek Hill still, um, I, I, I'd like to hear him because I, I don't know – what part of his game doesn't translate well? I mean, he's 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 excellent in the short game and the screen game, that sort of thing. He has the speed to uh, and the big playmaking ability to to turn that into long games, and he's great, you know, stretching the field too. Um, you could throw him the ball, you know, sixty yards down the field, and he's going to catch it more times than not. So, uh, Tyree Kill's really put on a performance. He's been part of a high-powered offense, and you got to feel good about him moving forward too. So, um, those are the guys that I was I was uh, high on. Uh, that that kind of came through for me, John. What do you think about this group uh, as a whole? Some pretty interesting ones. I mean, the the wide receivers. I was on board with all of those guys, and uh, felt like you and I were kind of fighting the world on a couple of them. Um, Kenny Galladay particularly comes to mind, and then uh, definitely Tyree Kill. You know, at least on this podcast. Um, but Jared Goff is a guy that I, I mean, I was I was down on him. And for me, you know, and I'm going to get to him in a little bit, so I won't completely, you know, shoot my wad here. But, you know, it, it, for me, it was the fact that, you know, under it was he had under 300 uh, completions in uh, 2017, which was the second most among the, the QB1s. And, I mean, it, it felt like there was more volume coming. There were going to be more attempts and more probably more completions. Uh, but I thought that that would mean the efficiency goes down, number one. And number two, that they're not using Todd Gurley nearly as much. And so, you know, it, it, it they're leaning a little bit more on Jared Goff, which which just kind of affects his, his, his numbers a little bit. So um, that was a – it was an interesting one because it was really hard to envision – a path for him to take much of a step. And it wasn't a huge step. He went from QB 12 to QB nine, but you know, the fact that we're still seeing him continue to progress and you know, the fact that you had a process that, that 
led you to believe that that would happen, uh, I think is particularly impressive. And James White is the other one just, you know, for the simple fact that trying to figure out the New England Patriots backfield is just something that I, I personally don't even try to do for the most part. So the fact that you not only took that on, but got it right, um, is, uh, is also pretty impressive. Well, thank you. I'm going to get to all the stuff I'm wrong on later. And (laughs) those are head scratchers. So the fact that I can boost my ego a little bit now, um, and that you can help with that is going to go a long way because man, did I have some head scratchers. So we'll get to those in a little bit, John, but I kind of like to (laughs) hear your list, you know, who, who were some of the guys that you were high on? Uh, that you got right uh, over the course of the off season. Yeah, that is, so that's why I like w- how we structured this, by the way, so that you get to kind of cleanse the palate with all the things that we got right, all the ways that we looked good, and uh, before we get to the stuff that we got wrong, because I think that we got we got some stuff wrong that is probably more glaring um, than the stuff that we got right. So, but for the moment. I, some guys I was high on. First of all, Matt Ryan, he, who ended up being the quarterback three. And you and I pulled off a trade in the offseason in a best ball league where um, I I essentially got Matt Ryan for you in return for Kirk Cousins and a draft pick. And I don't even remember what the pick was now, but um, it, it was a, a 2018 rookie pick. I remember that much. And... I don't know how that's going to play out in the long run, but right at the moment, I mean, just for the 2018 season, that looked pretty good. Uh, my my process, I guess, with Matt Ryan was just that, I mean, the the volume had been there. You know, the, they had been throwing to Julio Jones. Um, it, 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 just, it just was a matter of, for whatever reason, they had a major outlier season in 2017 in down in the red zone and and especially right around the goal line it was just they were so committed to running the ball and i mean you know they they would find random target Levine Toilolo would randomly score touchdowns and and Mohamed Sanu ends up being a red zone threat for them and Julio Jones just was never a touchdown scorer. Uh, Austin Hooper wasn't utilized down there, and it just it it just was so slanted towards the running game for the Falcons, particularly in the red zone. And I just could not envision that being the case. I felt like this there has to be a more dynamic version of this offense coming. And sure enough, I mean, we've seen Matt Ryan and we've seen Julio Jones. So I'm going to skip ahead real quick to Julio Jones, who ended up being the wide receiver seven. And the the touchdowns finally started coming. And it took about half the season after he scored three in in two games in 2017. And that was his only three touchdowns. Now he's got seven touchdowns on the season which, I mean, is just an insane number from Julio Jones, especially for essentially half of the season he's been doing that. But, I mean, he he had been catching a high volume of of balls. He had been getting the yards. He had been getting the catches. 
It was just a matter of time before those touchdowns started coming, and that finally happened. The Atlanta Falcons offense finally kind of came alive. Calvin Ridley, I think, had a lot to do with that. I think he opened things up quite a bit, giving them that downfield threat. And all of a sudden, that that offense just had the dynamics to it, had the the you know the they had so many different options uh and i and i just felt like that was coming but i'm i i'm gonna cast a dark cloud over those guys a little bit later uh russell wilson is another guy i was i was pretty high on and and i just kind of had this feeling about the seattle seahawks just in general i didn't realize that their defense was going to be as good as it has been you know, they they got some instant help from Shaquille Griffin. Um, that ended up being a huge difference maker for them. Just having that, that shutdown, lockdown corner um, that they could throw on the, the number one wide receiver of any team, it's made a huge difference for the defense. But I felt all along like this was going to become Russell Wilson's team. This was going to, to be an offense that leans on the abilities of Russell Wilson. He's quarterback eight, you know, after being quarterback one in 2017, that's not great. Uh, Quarterback eight is not exactly what we were expecting. He was probably being drafted, you know, in the top two or three among quarterbacks in, in most startup drafts last year. But, you know, to to get to quarterback eight when so little was expected of them after the mass exodus on defense, it felt like it was just going to be kind of a down year, kind of a rebuild type of year. So for the Seahawks to be in playoff contention, it looks like they're going to make it in. And for Russell Wilson to be to make it to quarterback eight is uh, is that that I just kind of had a feeling that that was coming. I I can't really put a process to it I will say that it's actually a little bit surprising to me that he that they still used him the way they did with that defense that they still needed Russell Wilson um, to uh, to to put up to be as productive as as he was uh, with the defense that they had and also with the running game that they had which brings me to my next guy Chris Carson the electric playmaker ends up being running back 18 I was high on him. Um, I, you know, I, and it was sometimes I was on, I felt like I was on a little bit of a lonely island, but it just kind of goes to show you that him and the next one, Philip Lindsay running back 12, both of these guys fall into, into the same camp for me, which is draft capital in the NFL does not matter nearly as much as we think that it does, or we sometimes think that it should. And in both cases, the way I looked at this was, you know, Chris Carson, a, a sixth round pick, I believe, fifth or sixth round pick in 2017. Rashad Penny, a first round pick in 2018. So, you know, the 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 conventional wisdom was that Rashad Penny would be the starter because he was a first round pick. If I'm a NFL general manager, here's the way I actually look at that. I drafted two running backs, one in the first round, one in the, you know, the later round, sixth, seventh round, whatever it was for Chris Carson. And I got my starting running back out of them. I don't care which one was the first rounder. All I know is I spent two, those two draft picks and I got 
my starting running back, I got my workhorse running back, and I got a very, very capable backup out of that. That's all I need to know. It doesn't have to be the first rounder who ends up being your your starter and your workhorse. It doesn't have to work that way. Ditto for the Broncos. Philip Lindsay, undrafted. Royce Freeman, a third-round pick. It, it, it doesn't matter, though, to the coaching staff or to the to the executive level. It doesn't matter to them which of the two is a starter. All they care about is we spend a third-round pick and we got a rookie as an undrafted free agent. And out of that, we got a Pro Bowl running back who is, you know, for all intents and purposes, our, our, our starter, our kind of a workhorse, I guess, and certainly our, our most dangerous, most explosive offensive weapon. And we got a very good backup behind him. So, you know, that third round pick was still worth it. For the Seahawks, that first round pick was still worth it. So that's the I think that that's an important process to keep in mind. I think that's an important way to look at the running back position going forward. Is that the draft capital only matters to the extent of, you know, as long as we find a starter out of the handful of draft picks that we use. It doesn't have to be the first draft pick that we used on a running back is our starter. Just as long as you get a starter out of, you know, the running the 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 draft picks that you use. Anyways, that's a, a long-winded way of saying Chris Carson and Philip Lindsay, two guys I was very high on and I did not care about the lack of draft pedigree. I was high on Devontae Adams. He ends up being the wide receiver one. The process was very simple. The number one wide receiver in an Aaron Rodgers offense even though Aaron Rodgers ends up having a down season, he's still Aaron Rodgers. He's still the best quarterback in the game. And for me, he's still the number one dynasty quarterback and the number one overall player in dynasty Superflex. And Devontae Adams continues to be his top target. And then Trey, Trey Burton is my final guy. He ends up being tight end eight, eight which... You know, in that range, it does end up being a little bit of just kind of a a mishmash of names. And, you know, he he's he's definitely slowed down in the last, you know, quarter of the season. Uh, but the theory all along, and it, it, it essentially coincided with Adam Shaheen coming back. But the the theory all along was Mitchell Trubisky in his first full year as a starter, second year in the league, Matt Nagy, the you know, with the, his all of his offensive prowess and what it was going to come down to is the easiest way to transition a young quarterback into that starting role, into that, you know, that 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 leader role and into being just an NFL a productive NFL starting quarterback is short throws, work the middle of the field, find your big safe targets, and that's Trey Burton. That's what Trey Burton was brought in to do, was to be that safety blanket for Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah, man, that's a that's a real solid list, John. I, I really got to give you credit, first off, for the Falcons. I Matt Ryan, to me, was it was interesting because the process he used was right on, man. I mean, it really was, and 
at quarterback coming into the year, I really felt like there was a, a, a lot better options than Matt Ryan. I felt like Matt Ryan was a middle, you know, 12 to 15 type quarterback. And I, obviously I was wrong. He, he's had a fantastic season. They've definitely thrown the ball more um, and in the red zone, which has helped Julio too. And, you know, those touchdowns, I mean, this hasn't been a thing for Julio that it was just one season. I mean, he has struggled almost throughout his career with with the touchdowns. You know, the yardage has always been there, it seems. But getting in the end zone and, and getting those touchdowns has been a has been a problem. So the fact that you had him as high as you did and you saw those seven touchdowns, I mean, that's a big improvement for him. So give you credit on both of those. But the guys that I really, really want to give you credit on uh, is Chris Carson and Philip Lindsay and Chris Carson? You were you were uh, the Chris Carson truther in my eyes for the entire offseason. A lot of people <clears throat> were unsure at best of what the timeshare was going to be after they drafted Rashad Penny in the first round. Most people thought Rashad Penny was going to get every opportunity to win that job, and I think he did. And I still think that Chris Carson outshined him. Um, Chris Carson, it, it just the more I watch this guy, the more I really, really like him. And the more I see all the things that you were saying in the offseason about him, he is a really good running back, more than capable of being a running back one. He's very reliable. Um, he's good in between the tackles. He can get outside. He's got enough agility to do everything. So um, I, 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 you know, you were really uh, at the forefront of, of his his good season. And I give you credit for that. And Philip Lindsay's another guy. I mean, you were saying it. From the beginning, watch out. This is the guy that, you know, this guy's been the talk of camp in Denver. This guy has been, you know, watch out for him. And you kind of put him on our radar a little bit earlier than most people had him on uh, theirs. And for that, you know, I got a bunch of shares of him because I kind of was ahead of the curve with him um, because of you. So you kind of called that and, uh, and you know, were, were the voice of reason there, even though a lot of people thought, no way, there's no way this undrafted you know, rookie running back is going to to get any opportunity when they, you know, spent the third round pick on Royce Freeman. But like you said, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Production is production. Philip Lindsay outproduced Royce Freeman. And who who cares which one of those guys is getting the job done as long as one of them is. So um, I give you credit, though, on, on being able to to figure out that this undrafted rookie was going to be that guy. Um, I think you were on board with that a whole lot, whole lot sooner than the rest of us. So um, I give you credit for all of those, but especially those running backs, man. That was uh, that was well done. Nice, thank you. Yeah, so um, I, I I really appreciate that. I do wanna do wanna just say real quick, just you know, for before everybody starts turning off the the podcast um, because of the victory lap, it's it's certainly not meant to be that. I uh, I do appreciate um, I do appreciate that, but like, kind of what we're you know the 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 bigger point that we're both trying to make here is that there was there were indicators with those guys number one and number two there's also a valid strategy here you know zero rb is is a valid strategy it absolutely would have worked extremely well this year in fact and those are just two of the guys and you know and it's not as much of a crapshoot as one would think those we those guys were predictable. James White is a guy that you brought up. He was predictable, clearly, because we made that prediction. You know, so it, it's it's important to keep in mind that you can win without spending your own draft capital in your startup draft, or you know, giving up a lot in in a trade 
to go get some of these guys. Certainly Todd Gurley made your life easier this year. Alvin Kamara made your life easier. Christian McCaffrey made your life easier if you happen to have those guys, but you didn't have to. You didn't you didn't have to take Saquon Barkley with the 1.01. You could have took Nick Chubb in your rookie draft. You could have you know, you could have taken Philip Lindsay in your rookie draft. You could have waited until the very end of your draft, your startup draft, and taken Chris Carson and James Conner. And that group of running backs would have led you all the way through this season to a fantasy championship. So it's it that's that's kind of the exercise here is just to just to frame this as this is this is predictable. This wasn't lightning in a bottle. This is stuff that we can actually throughout the offseason, we can identify these guys going forward. And that's what we're going to continue to strive to do. But with that being said, we get to, we'll we'll keep with the victory lap, I guess. Um, Some guys that you were low on, James, going into 2018 and got it right there. Yeah, yeah. And real quick, I I know a lot of our regular listeners are wringing their hands right now because they know that the things that we got wrong is coming and and they know that that we're gonna we're gonna catch an earful for it so yeah a- absolutely we, we yeah it, it's not just all victory laps here trust me we're taking accountability for the things we got wrong it's just coming a little bit later so <laughs> yeah um, like i said we're we're <clears throat> we're cleansing the palate first we're we're uh we're getting the some good vibrations going first before we uh start to take our lumps before we smash ourselves into the ground. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So, yeah, there were there were several players I was lower on than consensus that I got right. And first off, I'm going to start with Evan Ingram. Uh, he was a tight end that a lot of people were really high on. I felt like his opportunity last season with Odell Beckham getting hurt and even Sterling Shepard a little bit hurt. Evan Ingram was the main pass catcher. Uh, for a lot of this, a lot of games last season, and I, I didn't feel like that was a sustainable pace for him this year. And it hasn't been. He's the tight end 16 right now. Um, he's really struggled. I think part of it is Odell Beckham and Saquon Barkley being brought in um, and Odell Beckham being healthy for most of the year. Um, and I think part of it, too, is is Eli. Eli Manning hasn't, hasn't had a great year, uh, especially early in the year. He's, he's kind of been a little bit better later, but... Uh, you know, that that's hurt him, too, because he hasn't had a, a whole lot of catchable targets either. So, um, yeah, Evan Ingram was the guy I was low on, and I I, uh, I I feel like I was correct there. Josh Gordon is one I'm taking a victory lap on, and look, I'm not, I, I'm not at all rooting against Josh Gordon. I hope whatever is going on with him, his personal demons, I hope he conquers them. I hope he comes back, plays football, and crushes it. But I hope, more importantly... He gets whatever help he needs, and he lives a, a healthy, long, sustainable life at this point. But the risk for him in, in, in a fantasy aspect, when you know that this is a guy who's been suspended multiple times, this is an issue that he's still dealing with, um, just because he goes to New England, I didn't feel like those were issues that were going to go away, and, and then, unfortunately, they didn't. Um, so for a fan, just from fantasy, not getting into his personal issues or any of the things he has to fix there, just for fantasy, you're, you're pretty disappointed if you had Josh Gordon or if you traded for him at this point. So, um, I felt like that was, that was always kind of a risk with some of the off field stuff that he's had, unfortunately. 
Um, we'll go go next to Matthew Stafford. This was a guy that I was not high on either. I felt regression was coming with Matthew Stafford. I felt like those receivers weren't going to be um, performing at as a high of a level. I felt like there was a drop-off coming for guys like Golden Tate and Marvin Jones. His efficiency was ridiculous over the past couple of years. I didn't think that was going to be something that would be sustainable. And I didn't like the fact that they didn't replace Eric Ebron. <clears throat> I know Ebron wasn't huge there. He didn't do a lot. But he was a guy that they could look to over the middle of the field, and they really didn't have that outside of Kenny Galladay. And I think uh, I think we kind of saw that. There, there's limited upside in this uh, this Detroit offense right now. They need some playmakers. Um, on Johnson helped with the running game, and Matt Patricia, being a defensive coach, kind of felt like this was going to be more of a run-first offense. And I think moving forward it's going to be. I think it has to be if this offense is going to be good. That's the easiest fix and the quickest way to get this offense good is with a healthy on Johnson and improved offensive line and a better running game. So um, I think moving forward, Matthew Stafford, someone I'm probably going to be avoiding as well. Uh, Corey Davis was another guy, and Corey Davis it had nothing to do with his talent. I'm, I'm still very high on Corey Davis and his talent, but that passing offense um, was something I wasn't very high on. I didn't think Marcus Mariota could support a, a wide receiver one there um, with with you know his his inaccuracies and the way that he um, you know tends to run the ball and that offense being more of a run first offense. So I'm going to go right to Marcus Mariota because that was my next guy that I have on the list, and that was a guy that I. I just I wasn't buying into him as a fantasy quarterback. Um, last year, there was a lot of excuses made for him because of injuries. And this year, I mean, I, I think he's out of excuses. It's, you know, he's to the point now where I think even in Tennessee coming going into next year, he's going to be in a in a put up or shut up type season where they're going to have to have to really determine if Mariota is going to be the quarterback there of the future. And I don't think a lot of people thought that after his rookie season. Um, so he he's quarterback 22 right now. Um, he's barely a QB two uh, on the fantasy season, so that's interesting. Rashad Penny's another guy, and look, going forward, Rashad Penny may very well be a good running back, but I didn't think this was the year for him. A lot of people did because of his draft capital. Um, Seattle is one of those teams that that has shown it in the past. I mean, they're not worried about, you know, we paid this free agent a whole lot of money. Um, you know, we got to play him. You know, that that's kind of you know the whole story of Russell Wilson. You know, being drafted and. Ended up starting over over uh, Matt Flynn that they had signed for a bunch of money and look how that worked out. I don't think Seattle cares about stuff like that as much as maybe some other teams do, and it showed. Um, and lastly is Blake Bortles. Um, Blake Bortles just isn't good, and there were people that thought he was good just because he was healthy, and um, he's not good. And <laughs> that's all I'll just say is that Blake Bortles is not good and was not good, and I don't think will be good moving forward either. So. Um, yeah, that's kind of my list on guys I was low on that uh, that, that I think uh, if you listened and you avoided those guys, you, you're probably pretty happy. Um, what do you think about this list, John? Man, yeah, this is a <laughs> it's, it, it, it's it's a little it's actually a very frustrating list because so many of these guys, you know, it, at times it looked like they were well on their way. Matthew Stafford started the season just absolutely on fire. And basically when they traded away Golden Tate right before the trade deadline, that's when everything changed for, for Matthew Stafford. But, I mean, he was he was on his way to a nice season. Uh, Josh Gordon, after the trade to the Patriots, he looked like he was well on his way. I, I, don't, I never bought into it either, um, kind of for different reasons. I, I just... I've never believed in 
outside receivers for the New England Patriots. I just I don't I don't think that that's what they want to do. So even when he was producing as an outside receiver, I still had a hard time believing it. But um, you saw something totally different, and I mean, you had insight as a Cleveland Browns fan, uh, you know, having seen the situation a little closer than than a lot of us. And uh, you, you know, you were you were just on to, you know, the kind of what's going on behind the scenes with Josh Gordon. Um, that that. Yeah, like you said, I mean, all the best. Hope that he can he can kind of turn his life around. But from a football perspective, I mean, it's I I don't know how anybody could possibly think that this turns out well. That there's a happy ending there from a football standpoint. Rash, you know, Rashad Penny. It looked like he was going to get an opportunity when Chris Carson dealt with injuries. Um, you know, Penny had a had a breakout game uh somewhere around Thanksgiving I believe and then Corey Davis had multiple breakout type of games Marcus Mariota dealt with injuries all season but there were times where he looked pretty sharp there so many of these guys it just feels like a wasted opportunity for them you know so these are these are not only you know good ones to have avoided but also, it's extremely frustrating, extremely tilting if you weren't able to avoid them. So some guys for me, Kirk Cousins, and this one's a little bit debatable because he was a QB1, he's he's quarterback 12, and that's after, what, three straight very nice games for Kirk Cousins. Um, two in particular since they fired uh, John DiFilippo as their, as their offensive coordinator. But before that, I mean, he was he was spotty at best, and there were some really really bad games where, you know, people were starting Kirk Cousins. I mean, he was probably drafted as a quarterback one for most of the teams that rostered him, and hopefully you you know you had ended up with like a Pat Mahomes or a Mitchell Trubisky or maybe even a Josh Allen, somebody to kind of to step into that QB1 role because Kirk Cousins for most of the season wasn't filling that. The process for me was the what the Vikings want to do is to run the ball and to win with defense. And Kirk Cousins throwing the ball means things are not going well for the Vikings. Well, I mean, for a good part of the season, I, this is where my process wasn't totally right because for a lot of the season they were playing from behind they were they were winning games the way they didn't want to win games you know despite a somewhat struggling defense despite a lack of a running game they were still going out and winning games and and there were a lot of times where they had to lean on Kirk Cousins to do it and they had to lean on Adam Thielen to do it and Stefan Diggs and you know Kirk Cousins still wasn't getting the type of fantasy production that we were kind of expecting now I'm I'm gonna get to Kirk. I'm gonna talk about Kirk Cousins a little bit more later, I believe, because I think that I I, I think that part of the 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 theory for me was also just the idea that he's coming to a new team, a new system, a, a new a new group of of wide receivers, um, a, a new group of pass catchers, just all together. And not only that, he came with a pretty big price tag. 
So there was there was some added pressure of being you know of 84 million guaranteed. That's a hard fan base to to satisfy if you're a quarterback. They're they're constantly that fan base hates their quarterbacks. You know, some, some of a some some of my some of my friends out there in the in the fantasy universe, Jake Anderson certainly comes to mind. Um, and uh, some of my some of my league mates and some of my other leagues, I you know my heart goes out to you guys. It's been another tough season. I hope that you can somehow sneak into the playoffs and and make some noise. But man, the the way they feel about their quarterbacks is just it, it, it's it's such a roller coaster. They were so happy to have Sam Bradford, and then couldn't wait to get rid of him they were so happy to get Kirk Cousins and now there's already calls for you know we we should have kept Case Keenum which <laughs> I've, I'm watching him up close this year too and I don't know that that's exactly the answer either uh and you know we shouldn't have spent so much money at the quarterback position especially when this if this is the best we're gonna get you know it it's got to be tough to be a Vikings fan. Kirk Cousins just has not been what they thought he was going to be. But give him a year. Give him a full year in that system. Give him a full year with those wide receivers. I think he's going to be far better in 2019. Don't lose hope on Kirk Cousins just yet. Um, but hopefully for 2018 you were able to uh, to avoid him somewhat. Jameis Winston is another guy quarterback 27 and he was on and off the field he kept you know first the suspension and then getting benched for ryan fitzpatrick i believe that happened twice and it was just fitzpatrick and winston just kind of swapping and ultimately Jameis winston is the guy who they need they need him on the field because they need to make decisions on his future and the future of that franchise at the quarterback position but I don't think he's shown them anything, and I didn't think that he would. I, I, we have never seen it from Jameis Winston. That's the entire issue. He has never been anywhere near where he ends up being drafted in in dynasty startups. He has never, he hasn't proven anything. His best season was his rookie year when he was a quarterback fourteen. That's that's just not good enough to, for us to believe that anything better is coming, especially after four seasons. It's it's I I'm ready to be done altogether with Jameis Winston. Anyways, <laughs> I'm getting a little too long winded, a little bit too passionate on a couple of these guys. So let me. It's rush. the quarterbacks, though. It's the quarterbacks, and hey, this is a quarterback centric show. So that's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's an excellent point. So I'll fire through the rest of these a little bit. The Leonard Fournette are running back 39, and it's exactly what we were saying all offseason. All three of us said this. Leonard Fournette, we don't like to use the term injury prone, but Leonard Fournette tends to miss more time due to injury than most running backs. And it's a tough position anyways, but you're just, you're getting Leonard Fournette, you're taking Leonard Fournette, with the understanding that he's going to miss some time. That's just kind of all there is to it with him going forward. LaShawn McCoy, running back 40. I was down on him. 31 years old. 
and not only that, he's he has a ton of work, uh, a, a a lot of a lot of wear and tear on that body at this point, on that thirty-one-year-old body at this point. Plus, it was just you know it it looked like it was not going to be a very good offense. Josh Allen has been way more competent than we thought he would be, but he's he, where he's getting it done is running the ball. So he's literally vulturing work from LaShawn McCoy. And yeah, so I mean that one that one didn't go exactly the way I thought, but you know, again, 31-year-old running back with the type of workload that LaShawn McCoy has seen over the entire course of his career, the cliff was coming and I think we're there. Allen Robinson, wide receiver, 35, and it's as simple as this. He changed teams. That's a, It's a tough thing to do. We rarely see wide receivers leave as free agents and do well in their first season with their new team. And I didn't think it was going to happen. Again, you know, you're also talking about a young quarterback, uh, his first year as a starter in a new system with Matt Nagy. There was just, there, there were a lot of reasons to believe that Allen Robinson was going to struggle. Injuries ended up being a part of it as well, but you know, just the the deck was stacked against him as it as it you know without the injuries. Jarvis Landry, kind of the same thing, wide receiver, twenty one, um, but he also it, it's always been a matter of he gets the volume, he's good in PPR. You know, he caught a lot of passes, which is how he got into the you know the the low end wide receiver two range but he doesn't score touchdowns he doesn't get you a lot of yards and he never will that's just not the type of player he is and that's certainly not the way you know nfl coaching tends to use him they you they basically want to give him they want to throw him short passes and basically simulate a long handoff that's what they want to do with jarvis landry and that's that's gonna that I think that's always gonna be the case with him. I I'm gonna be high on Allen Robinson going into 2019. I'm never going to buy into Jarvis Landry as a wide receiver one. It's never gonna happen. And the final guy was Delaney Walker. That one gets an asterisk because he was hurt in the first game of the season. Um, for me, it was it was his age. It was the fact that the cliff was coming, and it was the fact that there were so many mouths to feed in at the start of the season. There were just so many different ways to go with the football for Marcus Mariota. I didn't. I I just felt like Delaney Walker was going to see a big hit in his volume, and it turned it out. It turned out to be right, but only because he wasn't on the field because he was injured. Uh, for the entire season I believe with a torn ACL if I remember right and now it's been 17 weeks since it happened so I don't even remember what the injury was but um, I, I it very well may be a career ender unfortunately for Delaney Walker uh, to me he was it, he was right up against it uh, as far as you know time wise anyways yeah, I, looking at your list, John, it's I, I'm not going to get into some of these names are going to appear on my next list, so I'm not going to get into all of them <laughs> just quite yet. But one of the things I am happy about is that Jameis Winston didn't kind of slide through the cracks here, and, and you know I, I I'm not happy he's on the list. I'm not rooting against him actively, but this was a guy that you and I were kind of in lockstep uh, on as far as you know him, uh, you know his his upside and his talent and kind of where we thought he was and. 
you know, him missing a few games was on him at the beginning of the year. And that quarterback position kind of being a revolving door at midseason was kind of because he wasn't very effective when he did get the job. Um, and, you know, Fitzpatrick had shown that, you know, he could be. So um, I, I don't I, I, I almost think Tampa Bay is in the market for a quarterback next year. I, I really do. Maybe maybe it's not even a, a rookie quarterback. Maybe they're in the market for a veteran a guy who might be available like a Ryan Tannehill or an Eli Manning or someone like that, you know, depending on, you know, Manning status, just or, or Flacco, someone like that, that they can fall back to and go, you know what, if this doesn't work out, we have a solid option that knows, you know, that we can, we know we can rely on week in a week out for something. Um, but yeah, and, and you, you nailed that. And then the running backs too. I mean, Fournette was one of those guys that you were always preaching about all the hits that he takes and, and his workload and the carries and uh, some of his past injuries, um, you know, being being a concern for you, and absolutely, I mean, they, that kind of kind of reared its ugly head, unfortunately, for Fournette owners and for Leonard Fournette himself. So that's definitely something to monitor going forward. And I think, uh, you know, that that trend, um, you know, is something is enough for me to look to lower him down my rankings a little bit too. Yeah, it, and it's and it's tough with Fournette because he's always. I I mean he's so good when he is on the field and he like to a point where I mean you can actually see it when you look at Blake Bortles pass attempts, pass completions, passing yards, everything goes up when Leonard Fournette is out. You know that they they want the offense to run through Leonard Fournette. And so when you've got a healthy Leonard Fournette, you've got something. You've got an elite level running back. It's just I mean you just have to you you just have to factor into his cost the fact that he's going to miss some time. He's going to miss multiple games every single season. And I, I just, I, I believe that. I don't, you know, it's not meant to be a knock on the guy or anything because, again, he is an elite level running back when he's on the field. But just the fact that, you know, you 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 just realistically have to prepare yourself for the likelihood that he's not going to give you a full 15 games in a fantasy season. There just is not enough time to cover everything that we want to cover in a uh, reasonable amount of time and uh, expect you to listen to all of it in one sitting. So we're going to take a brief intermission here before we get to the gory details of everything that we got wrong in the 2018 season. So keep an eye out for part two of our Reflections episode, and we will be right back. Oh, I'll never stop it. 